Hey, welcome to Answer the Call. I'm Kelsey Kemp. I'm a career coach specialized in helping Christians discern their callings and actually land a job or start a business that allows you to fulfill it. In this season, by the way, welcome to season five. This is so cool. So you're going to hear me address the 10 biggest questions we have about our callings week by week. We'll be covering questions like, can you miss your calling? Does physical, material, or secular work really matter to God? Is it selfish to want to be fulfilled by work? Oh, what about this one? So wasn't work cursed with the fall of man? And is it therefore unreasonable to expect that work could be a purposeful, glorious gift? What about our true callings only for the special few? And so much more, including, oh, just one more kicker. So what about people that are oppressed and have little to no choice in their careers? Are you telling me that they have a calling? This is actually just a small sampling of the big audacious questions that we're facing throughout this series. And this season is as you'll probably be able to tell, I hope, the amalgamation of years of research and study and conversations I've sought out to get to this point where we could come together on some of the most daunting theological questions that often go unanswered and either consciously or at least subconsciously really hold us back from the blessing and the purpose of work that God intended actually to build his kingdom here on earth with a vision and life. So anyway... <laughs> I get all caught up in this. So in these episodes, I want to say, actually, you're going to hear me mention a PDF guidebook that is designed to accompany this series of 10 audio lessons. So it's a 27 page download with all the scriptural references and additional detail and examples to answer each of these questions for you and that you'll hear me addressing in these episodes. So you can get this as well as instant access to all 10 episodes so you don't have to wait for them to come out week by week bundled for you as a little e-course how cool <laughs> at kelseykemp.com slash module one where it's like your little personal library all in one place and you could even share it with friends i really believe that this is something to be spread so you might be asking why module one why is it kelseykemp.com slash module one <laughs> that url one more time it's because this series was actually created for the members of the Calling Academy, which is my signature course helping you clarify your unique purpose and find the job or the business idea that God is calling you into to fulfill it. And this series was created to help the members align their beliefs with God's beliefs about work before they dove into the practical steps of discerning what they were called to do. And we are actually wrapping up this current co cohort in the next few weeks, but you could get on the list to be able to enroll when the doors reopen at the end of September or early October and get on the wait list at thecallingacademy.com. Uh, also, if you just go to my homepage, kelseykemp.com, everything's linked there. So, hey, as you listen, last thing before we dive in, I'm going to ask that if and when a friend comes to mind who you know would be encouraged by this episode, please send it to them. So if you're anything like me, I really found this stuff to be radically encouraging and honestly so freeing and tangibly influential in my career and so i'll remind you again at the end of the episode but just for now be thinking about a friend or a small group or your small group from church um, that you might want to send this to as you enjoy the episode all right now let's dive into today's question all 
All right, so if you listened to the last clip, we now know that it is not inappropriate. It's certainly permissible to have a certain level of fulfillment from our work. Absolutely. Um, it was designed to be that way. But now the next question is kind of like, what about my motives though? Does that really mess it up? Like, is it selfish to want that purpose and fulfillment from my work? What if it's just for my own fame or prosperity or self-worth. And I first want to address this by talking about where that desire in a redeemed sense might be coming from. Because it is not inherently wrong to want a sense of purpose, fulfillment, and even significance and a sense of self-worth from your work. It's really not inherently wrong because you were called to rule, remember? Like from the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28, you see that we are given the purpose to rule and God intentionally uses really grand language all throughout the scripture. So like, remember that you are called a, a priest, a part of a royal priesthood who is a part of the most epic lineage of God's royal and chosen people. God himself claims you as his special possession in first Peter two, uh, verse nine. And also claims you as his own son or daughter, like in 2 Corinthians 6.18. It sounds to me, honestly, excuse me, that God goes to great, great lengths to remind you of your significance, your worth, value, and special station within creation as um, you are made in his image like no other parts of creation are. And therefore, it should come as no surprise to you or me that we were made to crave a special place in the story of humanity and an experience of work that validates that immense worth that God placed in you. Yeah, that that should really, I believe, come as no surprise. It's just how do we how do we relate to that and keep our own sinful nature in check, honestly. So, in fact, um, let's talk about the first two chapters of Genesis and how it validates that work was actually meant to be one of the primary activities that gives us an experience of a sense of purpose, not because it is a distraction from God, but actually because it's one of the biggest ways that we can can commune with God as we make ourselves useful to others and to creation rather than just living for ourselves. As we also discover who we are, because the amazing thing about work is that action and cultivation and creativity and all the things that are associated, like activities associated with work, are actually one of the most impactful experiences that help us even understand who we are in terms of our distinct abilities and gifts and characteristics and qualities. And those are all a major component of what comprises our sense of identity. And also work is an incredible gift that allows us to commune with God deeply and not as a distraction, but as a communion with God in that it also 
allows us to discover more of who God is as we establish a relationship, as we, through striving, realize our limits and acknowledge him as the source of our identity, the ultimate source of our hope and strength. And I I really like how Dorothy Sayers famously wrote, Work is not primarily a thing one does to live, but a thing one lives to do. It is, or it should be, the full expression of the worker's faculties, the medium in which he offers himself to God. And of course, like I, when I say a thing, uh, one, uh, one lives to do work is not like my God that, and she's not saying this, that it's our God that we serve. It's actually a medium in which we use the facilities that or faculties that God gave us to serve him. And we get to participate in creation in that action and participation. So much of that posture in life is what reveals more of God to us and allows us to serve him more and go in that loop of knowing him, therefore loving him, therefore serving him, therefore knowing him more and all this stuff that's like an endless cycle. But um, I really wanted to point out also that just to give you an example of the significance that God assigned to our work and therefore it's very natural and not inherently selfish more so appropriate for you to crave though i will address um the way that we could fall into sin in this way but um yeah just to give you a biblical example of how it's appropriate to acknowledge that significance that we crave in work uh, god gave adam the task of naming animals that's the first example of man's work uh, of that's the first example that we see of Adam getting his first task and living out the commandment he just received to rule, fill, and subdue the earth um, and all the things that are in it. And so in Genesis 2, verses 19 through 20, it says, Now the Lord had formed out of the ground all of the wild animals and all of the birds in the sky. He brought them to man to see what he would name them. I love that. To see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and the wild animals. And I want to note that naming was not some cute little task that God gave Adam to make him feel like some toddler to like help his daddy out with some like bottom of the line uh, action item on the list that doesn't really matter. No, God gave Adam this really like authority building significant task. And we see that I think quite significantly in when we look at what um, the Hebrew translation of this verse is, it uses the word called, which obviously, I mean, around here is such a special word because we're trying to discern what you are called to do through the lens of also who God called you to be, which means to call, to proclaim, to read, and almost to prophesy, like call out who you are and what you would do as a result of that. The Hebrew word called that's used here is kara, uh, if I'm saying that right, Q-A-R-A, I'm not quite sure, Um, but it means to call, proclaim, or read. And this is the same word used again and again to describe God's work of creating the heavens and the earth. So for example, he, he called the light 
day. He called the darkness night. And this is also the same root word that God uses, uh, meaning to summon or proclaim um, when he renames Abram to Abraham because he was proclaiming, as it says in Genesis 17, 5, for I, I name you Abraham. Now changing it from Abram, for I have made you a father of many nations. This word also it's used over and over again in the Old Testament for um, parents prophetically naming their children, uh, who such as Noah's father. This is an example. So we see Lamech. Uh, it says in Genesis five twenty nine, Lamech named Noah and said he will comfort us in the labor and the painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. And so he's prophetically not only just giving this son a name, but it means something. It's like he's literally using a name to give a calling, what we would consider a purpose, a task, an assignment, a calling. Um, And that was actually part of God's design for parents to powerfully name their children, to call out their purpose of who they would become, actually, because God actually gives us that level of creativity and authority. And he delights in, like it says in um, that passage I read, it's seeing what he we will name the things that we are given to rule out of obedience to our first commandment that we've so often quoted in these audio clips of Genesis 1, uh, 26 through 28, to rule and subdue the earth. And so, I mean, can't you imagine like if you have kids to, or like you've seen a little kid, you give them um, a cake to decorate or a, a set of paints and you want to see what they make of it, you give them that creative authority and you delight in seeing how they use it. And you almost delight in seeing how, what that means about you as their parent. Like, wow, I got to be a part of creating this child and bringing them forth. And I get to steward um, their development too, as they grow up. And I love to see what what I get to learn about me in the family unit as seeing who this child is as a result of what they create. Like, did they draw a building? Did they paint their mom? Like, what does that say about them? And I, God delights in us using this creativity and authority um, to bring forth much meaning and um, advancement from the raw materials that he gives us. And so does this mean that we can get like super power hungry in our godlikeness? By no means. I honestly don't think that we could be fooled in that narrative for very long, especially if you're a follower of Christ and the Holy Spirit is testifying within you and drawing you back to God. Like we obviously were given limits that firmly remind us that we are not God. And after all, like everything that we are and everything that we have is from God and it is to be used for his glory and to be done through the strength and the hope and the opportunities that he provides. And from the beginning, we see that God is ultimately creative, but we were given the task of creating like he did, but through the order and the limits that he also gave. So like Adam wasn't making animals. He only had a a finite number of animals to name. Um, 
Just like if you gave your kid a canvas in a set of paints, I think it's highly unlikely that a four-year-old is all of a sudden going to go um, create a new set of paints or create some other medium to um, do art with. Like you're given the task and, or the tools to carry out your task with. Um, and I actually think that is a lot of how our, our callings and our careers are. It's to take a deep inventory. Almost, I, I heard this... Um, kind of visualization from somewhere. I can't remember exactly where, but you come into life and you're given kind of a bag with these uh, abilities, tools, aptitudes, qualities, opportunities, spheres of influence, time and place in history. And you have to take inventory and you have actually creative proclaiming authority to use that, but with the motive to be ultimately glorifying for God, making his name known and famous. And um, and he delights in that. He delights in seeing what we do. And um, so anyway, yeah, like we are, we have a limited creativity, having finite uh, materials and abilities and personal aptitudes to work with. But the bounds of creation are obviously still unbelievably expansive, but it just all reminds us that we're playing in God's sandbox and not ours. But back to the the heart of the matter, which is really like, what about my motives though? What is it selfish to ambitiously take hold of the creativity and the authority God gave you to create a really uh, meaningful, prosperous, um, whatever you would use to describe it, exciting career? Of course, that is just something for you to decide. Um, only you know your heart and actually really only God knows the whole depth of your heart and your motives. There's probably many things that you actually can't even be aware of about yourself. And also our motives can shift from Christ-like to self-centered at any given moment or any season. So um, to some extent, we're really, we shouldn't be counting ourselves out or like taking yourself out of the game or your purpose altogether on account of um, selfish or sinful ambitions being present because it is, it's just a reality of our fallen nature that there will always be a sinful nature or motive present, most likely at some level at all times. Um, so, I, to give you a distinction, though, I really wanted to um, just encourage you that this is why we are meant to um, go to the Lord and ask for his forgiveness and his awareness and to like ask him to heal your heart too and parse out, Lord, what about this is selfish? Does that mean that you want me to hold off or do you like also just trust that he is going to teach you and weed out the roots of sin in your heart as you pray and as you submit your actions to the Lord, but you're submitting your actions to the Lord. If you waited to do anything until you're perfect, literally nothing would get done. Like if we waited, excuse me, gross. If we waited until we had perfect motives to pursue meaningful work that actually served God, helped others, did good things. Literally none of us would do anything at all. The entire planet would stop and be wiped out at breakneck speed. Seriously. So just because you have some level of selfish gain or um, independent motives from God that have yet to be redeemed, 
And that's a constant, like giving it up to the Lord and allowing him to redeem these things and working on it. Um, but it doesn't mean that you should not pursue, like it doesn't always mean that you shouldn't pursue the thing that you want and it has a, is a redeemed or redeemable desire on your heart that can be used for good. Because no matter even if you had evil, like straight up evil intent to um, become, I don't know, just famous just for fame's sake and whatever, even if you were outright trying to be evil or hurt other people or do something really, really wrong, we know that in Genesis 50 verse 20, it says that what you mean for evil, God uses for good. And also Romans 8, 28, God uses all things to the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. So none of your evil can usurp God's goodness. It just can't. So this is really why I'm an advocate of faithful action, like just that posture of action, because I find inaction is rarely um, where good stuff is, honestly. I think that a posture of stillness and a practice of stillness and rest and reflection in our days or in the design of our weeks is important, but not um, inaction 100% of the time. Um, I think that we should go for the thing that God put on our heart, by and large. I'm not obviously in a one-on-one uh, -on -one conversation with you right now where I know exactly what you're thinking. Um, but <clears throat> the last thing I wanted to mention is just because you have some level of selfish motivation does not mean that, well, actually, <clears throat> let me put it this way. Just because you have, you want something for yourself, like it would make your life better, easier, happier, whatever, it actually doesn't necessarily mean that you're like sinfully selfish. Um, I want to, that might come as a shock, but I wanted to share this biblical example of, remember the woman, um, it's her story. It's in two places in the gospels, I believe, but I'm specifically going to bring up Mark chapter five verses 25 through 34. Again, for all the scriptural references, you could go to the PDF attached to this. Um, but remember the woman who had the, um, health issue of she was bleeding for 12 years and suffering tremendously under that illness. And she had actually spent all that she had and gone to every doctor possible and none had healed her. And she was suffering tremendously. Uh, like this woman is clearly at the end of her rope and we have tremendous compassion for her. Um, she went and she pursued Jesus and tried to touch his robe because she knew, she knew that even if I could just touch it, I would be healed. And actually, we do not, note this, see Jesus being like, you selfish woman, you're just trying to use me for something that's going to make you comfortable. No, you shouldn't ask for healing. You should just um, believe in me and tell people good things about me. Uh, no, he wants you to, yes, share the gospel and help other people know him. And by first garnering your belief in the relationship that he always wanted to have with you. But the desires you go to him with are like, he delights in you going to him. 
him for those desires and he does not blame you for having them. Jesus in no way rebuked this woman. Actually, he turned right around. He blessed and he praised her for her faithfulness to seek directly what she wanted from him. From him. It is a good and natural desire to experience life as it would have been in the Garden of Eden and as it will be in heaven, in the New Jerusalem, that city, that glorious city with God. It is natural to want that. And I don't believe that that is something to be ashamed of whatsoever. It is something to go to God for, trusting that, Lord, I know that if you even said a word, said one word, it would be done. And this is why, like in, I think it's uh, Matthew 17 and uh, actually multiple places in the gospel, we see that imagery of the mustard seed. If you only had the faith of a mustard seed, Jesus says, you would be able to move a mountain from here to there. How frivolous is that? Um, hi, what? Like, wouldn't somebody call me selfish if it's like, oh, I just decided that I was going to move a mountain from here to there and maybe it displaced some people and like disrupted some sheep over there? Like you could call me selfish, but Jesus actually follows up that verse or that segment of Matthew 17. And he says, not only would you be able to move a mountain from here to there and in another, uh, later on in Matthew, he says, not only would you be able to throw a mountain into the sea, but he says, all things would be possible for you. And he does not rebuke you. He actually affirms that power. And can we manipulate and abuse it? Yes. But that does not mean, like God didn't throw out a bunch of caveats. He was like, use it, but not for your sake or your name or because you have that power, but know that all that power comes from me for my glory so that you may be in in loving awe in a relationship with me and therefore also from that overflow of your heart obey the greatest commandment which is to love the lord with all your mind heart and soul and then also to allow help other people to know him by fulfilling the great command the great commission which is to go and make disciples of all the nations teaching them um wait Oh gosh, I get all self-conscious. It's funny. I, I'm getting much better at memorizing verses, but te- uh, make disciples, dis- uh, baptize them and um, yeah, teach them in the faith, build them up in the faith. And so I like, it is so, so unhelpful to throw the baby out with the bathwater and be like, oh, it's just bad that I want good things in this life. Jesus is not scandalized by that. He's like, I created you to have that as a part of the way your brain would work because I am the giver of all good and perfect gifts. And of course, you long for the day. You're not only that you would see my goodness in the land of the living, like it says in Psalm 27, but also you are made to have that just be a shadow. Anything that you see on earth, even the most awe-inspiring things of being able to see a mountain cast into the sea um, by your faith, but anything is just a shadow of what you will see in your true country. Like it says, I think it's in uh, Hebrews, it's 11 or 12 when it's talking about um, we long for our true country, our true home, which is in heaven. So do not squelch those good 
and God-given desires for wholeness, for fulfillment, for uh, authority, for rulership, for the special station that you were meant to claim in society, that's not a bad thing. Do it. Have that hunger, that holy ambition, but for God's name. And when, when you mess that up and try to make it about yourself, when you do it, even God will use that to bring you closer back to him and use it for his glory. Even if you hurt other people in the process, we know that everything that you try to do for evil, God will use for good. So don't back off. All right. (laughs) Whoa. Okay. False ending. I actually realized that I really wanted to share uh, two very tangible examples of times when I actually realized that I wasn't, I thought I was following something I was called to do, but it actually was, well, in this one example, it actually was like only for my own gain and it didn't have really much redemption to it at all. And I'm very glad that I didn't follow it because just because you're desires aren't inherently selfish, uh, like uh, on a principled, um, kind of conceptual level, sometimes, sometimes it is like, it's not, it's not from the Lord and you shouldn't be following that in your career. So an example for me is actually before I, um, realized that I felt called to start a career coaching practice, my big idea that I was pursuing for almost a year, um, before I decided, nope, I'm giving that up. That that's a no. Um, and I'm actually going into career coaching. My big idea was I wanted to move to London. And I I really, really thought, uh, I had so many reasons why I thought this was the, the thing for me. Um, a lot of, I, I think what um, some new age people would call like synchronicities, not to say like all synchronicities are bad. Um, I just made so much meaning out of them. And I, (laughs) I should talk more about this, uh, or I'll talk more on that concept when I, I go into the question, um, how do I really know like what a confirmation of my calling is? How do I know that I know what kind of signs should I be looking for? I'll talk more about that in the other clip titled with that question. But in this example, I, I ended up, just to make a very long story short, I ended up realizing that after months of trying to make this happen, I was applying for jobs, I was networking with people in London, making contacts, um, got a potential job lead that I thought was going to work out. Um, which again, I think that's kind of God graciously closing a door too. So maybe that was like sign enough, but it eventually, um, he worked many things together in my life, including therapy to help me realize the only truly, I could say this, the only reason that I really, really wanted to move to London was because it was going to feed a sense of significance and honestly the thoughts in my mind were like when I really dig down to it and a therapist helped me do this I really just want to quit my corporate job that I did I was very dissatisfied in and and move to London so I could show people that my life is special that it's interesting essentially so that I have worth because I didn't fully, I, I mean, I still don't fully, but certainly not then, comprehend my worth in the Lord. And 
I needed that idea and that that um, dream to move to London to give me something to look forward to. Like, oh, my life has meaning. It's an escape. I used it as an escape. And the distinction that I want to make here is there could be many, many reasons, as there were in my career coaching practice too, that I was excited to get into this career and quit my job and go start my own business for many reasons that are personally beneficial. Um, for freedom of time, autonomy and creativity, doing something that I really felt was meaningful and fulfilling, helping people in a way that I thought mattered a lot. But that last point leads me into the next thing I want to say, which is the distinction between um, my what I thought was a calling to move to London, like the whole deal. Like I thought I had like this vision for it and everything, like a vision from the Lord. Um, yeah, the whole shebang. <laughs> Um, the distinction between that and one of the clearest distinctions between that and starting my career coaching practice was I really was trying to engineer reasoning as to why I felt called to move to London and why that would benefit the Lord's kingdom I th- and serve other people. But ultimately, I was just making that stuff up to try to justify something that would serve me and me alone, which I was like, oh, that like I could just like share the gospel in a largely secular environment. It's like, homegirl, you could do that anywhere. What if I'm calling you to do that in your city right now? (laughs) Um, So I was really just trying to engineer reasons why I thought it would be good for God for him to allow me to do what I wanted. Um, But with career coaching, I was very excited about the things that would benefit me, but there was so much sacrifice in it, like so much, (laughs) that still my motivation to do this for others overrode any hardship that that would, um, and, and to glorify God through serving others in a specific way. It overrode any fear that I had of how it would disadvantage me monetarily, um, socially, my self-worth was had lots of hits taken to it as I was starting a business um, and as I it was very humble beginnings. Um, and I essentially, I, there was many reasons that God graciously confirmed that I was called to do this now, but essentially the deep motivation and a deep sense of calling to benefit others and serve God and glorify him and help his people in a specific way was present. There was an other focused motivation in addition to also personal benefit, in addition to a desire to serve God and glorify him in a specific way, in addition to a deep resilience of, I believe God is extending the grace and strength to me to overcome um and have a willingness to put up with any sacrifice I need to make to also make this happen. Um, And so I hope that makes it clear too, to just give you an example of maybe you do have some career dreams that are like 95 or a hundred percent just for you. (laughs) Like, um, like my desire to move to London and that it just cannot, it's not a calling. It's really not because God calls us to, um, community to work within the fabric of creation, not as a lone wolf that goes out and pleases yourself (laughs) alone. Um, Instead, when you're um, 
you're playing your part as the puzzle piece to glorify God and serve others. God says, come and share, well done, good and faithful servant. Now come and share in your master's happiness. So therefore motivations for personal benefit will be present as well, but it's among the family of like others centered motivations. So anyway, I really hope that helps you too. All right. What did you think? Do you have any follow-up questions? Because if so, you could always DM me on Instagram at Kelsey underscore the called career. Happy to continue this conversation with you about this important question that we started addressing today in this episode. So also don't forget that you could go ahead. All 10 episodes are waiting for you at kelseykemp.com slash module one, the number one. That link is also in the show notes. Always the links I mentioned are always down below in the little show notes section. So you could hit that and go ahead and download all 10 episodes for free along with the uh, whole accompanying guide with the written responses to each of these questions if you're more of a, a fast reader and a skimmer or if you would like to also see all of the scriptural references that I mentioned and the additional resources that I referenced within this episode. You could get all of that again at kelseycamp.com slash module one, no dashes, just module one. And also, guess what? I added a really fun new section to my website, kelseykemp.com slash free. It's also in the main navigation. So that free tools section, go ahead and hit that. And you could see all of the free resources I've created for other areas of your professional development and helping you clarify your calling uh, and get on the road to either getting a job or starting that business that really is going to allow you to fully and boldly live out your calling for the glory of God and the good of others. So lots of stuff waiting for you over at KelseyKemp.com. As for this episode, if again, if the people, I'm not, actually, I don't want to say if, I really trust that the Lord has answered my prayer and brought some people to mind that you think would be highly encouraged, edified, and emboldened by this episode. Um, for that, for those people that you're thinking of, I'm just going to remind you to text this episode to them saying, hey, I was thinking of you. What do you think about this? Let's start a conversation about it. So text this link to them um, and get very, very important conversations started to encourage each other together to go step up to the plate, go stand in the stations that we're called to serve in for the glory of God and the good of others. All right, this wouldn't be a proper outro, would it, if I didn't also ask for your partnership through a quick rating. It literally only takes one click if you're on Apple Podcasts to leave a five-star review and a quick uh, review through a written review just by leaving a couple words. It doesn't have to be fancy at all. Truly, it matters and it counts and it helps you actually join in this mission with me hand in hand to spread the word of God and information to help people step into their callings. This stuff matters and I so appreciate each of you who have actually even left multiple reviews. I've got some homies in this audience (laughs) that really I'm so grateful for your support. All right, I'll see you next week for our next episode in this season five about the 10 biggest questions that we have about our callings.